It's good to see you back tonight. Turn, if you would, to the book of John. I'm going to be there again this evening. Appreciate that. Appreciate all the songs tonight, but I really appreciate that last song this evening and uh, just a good old song with a great meaning. So I appreciate that and uh, hope you did as well. So all go to the Lord in prayer and then we'll get started. Father, it is good to be in your house tonight. I pray that you'd bless this time that we have together this evening. I pray, Lord, that you would use this message, as I have said on so many occasions, to help us in our walk with you. Lord, whatever the person might be struggling with tonight, I pray that uh, you would help them, that uh, whatever needs to be dealt with could be dealt with in a way that honors you, and we would thank you for that. We pray this now in Jesus' name. Amen. I know I've said this before in introducing a sermon, that this is not the most exciting way in which it can be done, and I know that that's not the best way in which to introduce a sermon, but I'm just going to ask you to be patient this evening and trudge through this illustration with me. Again, I know it's not exciting, but there is a point to it, okay? So I want to begin with this thought that it was a little over 20 years ago, whenever Susie and I had just barely been married a little bit of time at all that I decided we needed a credit card. And so I got our first credit card again a little over 20 years ago, and we began buying things on that. We began making our purchases on that. And over time, I began to realize that different credit card companies have different offers and different things available to its customers. So I made the switch from the credit card we were using to a credit card that would help us build up airline miles. And the idea was with all the airline miles that we would acquire, we would travel and we would see the country. So for years, we carried that credit card. And we did travel a little bit, but we came to this realization that we're not quite the world travelers we'd like to think we are. So a few years ago, I did a little bit more research and I found another credit card with another perk and another incentive and, and another uh, kind of a sales pitch associated with it that uh, has to do with hotels and, and a certain chain of hotels. And so, again, about three or four years ago, I switched over our credit card to this particular company, to this particular bank. And again, the idea was we'll use it, we'll acquire the points, whatever the system is, and we'll take advantage of it. So for the last few years, that's what we've done. And you may say, you're right, I don't care about this at all. Well, here's why I want you to think about this. Susie and I are now, I guess because of our spending, we are platinum members, okay? We are platinum members. And just so you know, we pay off our credit card every month. We have never one time in over 20-something years, we've never paid a penny of interest, okay? So we keep this under control. But we are platinum members with this particular credit card company and with this particular chain of hotels. And here is why I really, 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 really like this credit card company, and that is this, the perks and the incentives that come with it. As a platinum elite member, here is something that is available to us. Free upgrades whenever we stay. Now, that may not sound like much to you, but last Friday when we were on our way back from Florida, Susie and I stopped in at a place in Dallas, and I had booked the cheapest room with this hotel that I could absolutely find. I got the cheapest room, and it was $80 for the night. I said to the lady on the phone, I said, listen, this is kind of an anniversary trip for my wife and I. Do you have any upgrades? And she said, as a matter of fact, we do. We'll put you in the presidential suite. Now, I've stayed in some presidential suites before, like at the Coronado Hotel. 
that wasn't too presidential. But whenever they put us on the presidential or in the presidential suite in this particular hotel, I'm not kidding you, I stepped it out to make sure I wasn't exaggerating, and this hotel room was larger than the house we live in. I was like, cool. Anyway, it was big, it was nice, it was fancy, and we paid 80 bucks for it. Now, I'm just saying that's one of the perks that come with it are these free upgrades. And another one of the perks is this, is that as you gather the points, as you acquire the points, you can take free vacations with them. And so this year we've already had two vacations that were completely paid for by points, and we've got another vacation scheduled in September that will be paid for by points. And we've already got enough points for another vacation if we decide to take it at some point in the future that will be paid for by points. I like those perks. I like those things that are offered to us by way of being a member but here's the catch to all of the perks and all of the incentives and all of the offers that they make available. I have to take advantage of them. Just because they are there and just because they are available doesn't mean that I will use them in the way that I could. So it is upon me and that responsibility is on me to take advantage of what is available. Just because it's available does not mean that they will automatically force it on me. I am the one who has to put forth the initiative to take advantage of what they offer. So you understand that? What I'm trying to communicate, again, I know not real exciting, not real thrilling, but I want us to see the point there because of where the message is headed. So that in mind, turn to John chapter 14. And as you make your way to John chapter 14, remember that Christ is dealing with his disciples in the upper room. He has just, in a, from a few minutes ago, he has just washed the feet of his disciples and he has shown them some example of what true servanthood looks like, of what being a servant really consists of. And so he is still with the disciples in this environment and he is visiting with them, and as we're in John chapter 14 tonight, I want us to look at a very familiar portion of Scripture. I want us to begin looking in verse number 6, because it's here that Jesus saith unto him, this being, uh, who is he speaking to? Thomas, I'm sorry. He, he says to Thomas in verse number 5, Jesus saith unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Now, again, I know this is familiar. I know that most of us are aware of this. I just want us to think about it, though, that here is what Christ said to Thomas and to the rest of the disciples who would have been able to hear, that the only way a person can have a relationship with God is by having a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Come on. Uh, we need to hear this, and it's okay to be reminded of this, because some need this, okay? The only way to have a relationship with God is to have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Christ said, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. So what Christ made very clear in that statement, in those words, is this is there is no other way to God except through Christ. 
There are not multiple roads. There are not multiple routes. There are not many ways in which a person can come to God. This is absolutely clear. If a person does not have a relationship with Christ, they do not have a relationship with God. I think most of us tonight would say this, that outside of Judas, we believe with great confidence that the disciples all had a relationship with God because of the relationship they had with Christ. Okay? So, so Christ is talking to them, and, and he is dealing with something that they knew and understood, yet they needed to hear it again based on what Thomas had said. And so tonight I want us to think about something in relation to, to this statement made in verse number 6 that, that I think most of us would say tonight, and that would be this. I think most of us tonight would say that we have a relationship with God because we would say that we have a relationship with Christ. I would like to think that most of us would say this evening that we can go back to a place in our lives where we did business with our sin, with the help of the Holy Spirit, and as a result of doing business with our sin, in relation to the help that the Spirit of God offered, we called upon Christ to save us, I would suspect and I would hope that that is the testimony of almost everyone in here tonight. But it may be that some in here this evening, what has really happened is this, is that you've kind of gotten good at playing the religious game. So you know what to say. You know the right answers. You, you know how to respond if certain things are brought up. But you might have to be honest and say this, that there has never been a time in your life where you did business with your sin, where you repented and you called upon Christ to save you. And what you're hoping is this, is that everything will be okay, even though you don't want to to have a relationship with Christ. And I just want to remind us tonight, if that is the position that you are in, then you are in a position where you need to humble yourself, call upon Christ, ask him to save you, and not play the religious games any longer. It does not matter how often we come to church. It does not matter how good we strive to be. If the, if the person's testimony does not hinge on that day when they called upon Christ to save them, if that is not what it hinges on, friends, there is no reason to believe that salvation has ever taken place. So if a person has never done that, what would be their greatest need? Their greatest need would be this, to take care of it tonight and to get that settled once and for all. So all that being said, again, here's what you might say, and the majority of you might say, well, Brother Kyle, I've done that. I did that years ago. I did that many years ago. I did that as a child. I don't know what your exact testimony would be, but, but you would say maybe something like this, Brother Kyle, we've known each other for a long time. You know that I'm saved, and you know that so many of us are saved, and I get that. And so tonight, here's what I want us to do. I, I want to kind of start from that truth or start from that assumption maybe 
and say this, and please know that I'm not trying to be flippant or, or, or casual whenever I say this, but I want us to think about this, that as being a child of God, being a member of the family of the child of God, it comes with some incredible perks. There are some incredible perks that come with being a part of the family of God. Somebody may say, well, what are you talking about, these perks that come with being a part of the family of God? So go back to verse number 1. Christ, of course, again, speaking to the disciples, right before their world is going to be turned upside down in so many ways, he said, let not your heart be troubled. Ye believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there ye may be also, and whither I go ye know, and the way ye know. Now again, this is kind of a calm right before what would be a very serious storm in the lives of the disciples. When they see Christ being betrayed by Judas, they see Christ being taken into custody and going through this mock trial, eventually getting beaten and led up to Golgotha where he would be crucified. This is a calm right before the storm. And here is what Christ said If you are a child of God, if you are one of mine, then here is what you can know is that I have gone or I will go and prepare a mansion for you and that where I go, I will come again, he says, and receive you unto myself that where I am, there ye may be also. So stick with me for just a moment. You know what Christ just said to the disciples? He just made this this truth known to them, though I'm sure they had already heard it and were already familiar with it to an extent. He said, disciples, I want you to know, this is not it. There is something beyond this life that I am preparing for you. I am going, and he says, again, just to read it, he says, In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. And so so what is Christ saying to them? He is saying, listen, I am going to prepare this place for you, and, and one day we'll all be together once more in this place that we refer to as heaven. Now, again, I know you know this as well as I do, But the writers of the scripture, what did they try to do on different occasions as led by the Holy Spirit? They tried to describe to us what heaven will look like and what heaven will be like. As well as they were able to pen those words, here is what we know. That there is no way for us to understand and grasp how great it really is. You and I cannot grasp streets of gold. You and I cannot grasp 
the idea of, of gates being made out of pearl. You and I cannot imagine the magnificence of heaven. And yet tonight, here is what is as true for us as it was for the disciples, that there is a mansion, there is a dwelling place somewhere in heaven with our names on it. And one day when we die, we get to enter into heaven. And we get to take possession of these things. And we get to enter into the presence of our Savior. We get to enter into the presence of God All our troubles will be left behind. We're not going to have to worry about a thing. That is what we have promised for us. Friends, that is a perk that the unsaved do not have available to them. For the one who has decided to try to take another route to God, for the one who has decided they don't believe in God, for the one who has decided that all this is is just some kind of a myth and some kind of a fairy tale, friends, they do not have the assurance of knowing that when they close their eyes in death, they will wake up in a place called heaven. But for those of us who are children of God, that is what we can know with certainty tonight. Isn't that a great perk? I mean, if you think about it again from kind of an earthly reference, uh, that's something worth signing up for. I I want some of that. Okay, so, so Christ said to the disciples, there are mansions, I'm going to go and prepare it, and I'll come and I'll receive you and And there's so much of this that we don't understand, but as best our minds can grasp it, that is a reality awaiting us in the future. That is a future promise, though guaranteed. It's a future perk. But let's think about this for, again, just a moment. The disciples weren't dead yet. You realize that, right? They they were still very much alive and they would continue to be very much alive for a few more years, many of them. And so as you think about that, it's one thing to look ahead and say, okay, that's something that's out there and it's something that, that is promised and it's something that awaits and it's something that's wonderful and glorious and, and it's all fantastic, but that's all out there in the future. I might say it like this. What about some perks right now? Like, like how about something that I can use this minute? Because I'll be honest with you, and I don't know how the disciples would have felt, so I don't want to speak for them, and I don't want to speak for any of you. I'll just say it like this. See, I'm very much alive, and, and I'm not looking forward to rushing the process. You know, so, so here I am alive and hey, heaven is great and that's wonderful and, and I'm excited about it to an extent at the right time. And I just hope tonight isn't the right time. But if it is, it is. It's, you, so you understand the, the, the quandary we're all in to an extent. But what about right now? Is there something by way of a perk, by way of some kind of a uh, of, of a gift that I can take advantage of tonight? Well, there is. Go back to verse number one. Six little words. 
Words that Christ obviously shared with the disciples that, that we could be helped by tonight. Notice the six words that begin this chapter. Let not your heart be troubled. Let not your heart be troubled. Again, think about this. Their world is about to be turned upside down. They're about to see their leader of the last three plus years be hauled off and and taken into custody. And again, beaten and taken to Golgotha where he'll be crucified in a violent fashion. Before all this happens, Christ says, now listen, let not your heart be troubled. You know this as well as I do. We've gone over this so many times in the past, but I want us to, to give attention to this. What is the reference or what is the heart a reference to? It is a reference to the inner man. Okay, the inner man, the heart, it is what is happening inside us, but you don't know what's happening in my heart any more than I know what's happening in your heart. And the disciples, they didn't know what was happening in the hearts or the inner man of each of them, but Christ knew, and here's what he said, let not your heart be troubled. What does it mean for something to be troubled? It means this, to be in a state of unrest. It means to be agitated or to be stirred up. It's the idea of being anxious about something. So Christ says of their inner man, of their heart, he said, let not your heart, your inner man, be troubled. Don't allow your heart, your inner man, to be in this state of unrest, to be agitated, to be stirred up, or to be anxious. And so he says, don't allow this to happen, which means this, you make the choice to not allow your heart to be troubled. This was a perk that was only available to the followers of Christ, the followers of God. Let not your heart be troubled. Do not allow, make the choice, make the decision to not let your inner man get stirred up and agitated and and anxious and to be in this place of unrest. You know what that was? That was something they could use immediately. As everything unfolded in the next few hours, if they were willing to recall what Christ said, all they had to do was remind themselves that they did not have to let their inner man become troubled or anxious or in a state of unrest. Now, I like that. And here's why I like that. There are so many things that happen in our lives that for lack of better words, here's what Satan wants to do. Satan wants to use those things to trouble us in our hearts. Okay, he does it to me anyways. There are so many things happening in our lives that Satan wants to use those things to trouble us. 
I would suspect tonight that some of you, if you, if you had to be honest, you'd have to, to, to say something like this, that sometimes when you look at what's going on in our political landscape, it begins to cause within you some trouble or unrest or anxiety. Sometimes you look at what's going on in your family. And what is happening in your family causes you to to experience some unrest and some anxiety, some irritation, some being stirred up. It happens, does it not? Sometimes it happens... I'll just say it. Sometimes it happens in the church. You see what's going on in a person's life and you just think, oh man, oh, that, that, that's a problem and, and, and that's an issue and, and, and that's, that's something that's got to be dealt with. And, and, and here's what Satan does. He wants to use that to try to bring trouble in our lives. Now, I want us to see this, though I know we know it, Here is what happens. More times than not, it's not a trouble that happens or that is evident on the outside. But it is a trouble that can wreak havoc on our inner man. Does that make sense? All I mean by that is this, is you and I can become pretty good at putting up a front of I'm doing good. I'm doing okay. Life's all right. No, life's not perfect, but but no, I'm doing pretty good. But on the inside, what's happening? All these different things, whatever they may be, are troubling us. They're causing us to be in a state of unrest. That peace that we sung about just a few moments ago, it's not present in our lives. And, and, And we are in a total state of turmoil. Again, Not outwardly, externally, where everyone can see, but the old heart and mind is going about a hundred miles an hour, working overtime, making sure we're not at rest. Can that happen? And you know what Christ would say to us? If given a chance to speak to us in a physical form, though we've got his word and that's all we need. You know what he'd say to us? Let not your heart be troubled. Don't allow this to happen. Make the choice that you will not let this happen in your life. That the circumstances are going to trouble you. Think about the perk that is available in that. That we have the ability with the help of God and with the grace of God, that with whatever the circumstance is, whatever the situation is, we have the ability to say, no, I'll not let that one get me riled up this time it can be done 
I'm going to illustrate it because I, I know you want to hear an illustration, okay? And, and because I know you love stories about me, that is, I'm going to use me as an illustration, okay? Just sit back and enjoy for a couple of moments. See, here's how I would illustrate it. Two weeks ago when Susie and I were on vacation, this may surprise you, but I was waiting on her to get ready. Like I was ready and she was finishing up her hair and her makeup and all that other stuff. And so I did what any good American would do these days. I pulled out my phone and I started looking at the phone. Because what else would you do, right? So I pulled up the news and I began reading some news articles about the political landscape of our day. And I don't know why, but on this day of vacation, as I'm waiting on Susie, reading these articles, you know what began to happen in my heart? I began to be troubled. I began thinking about this, and I began thinking about this, and I began thinking about all these different scenarios. And Susie comes out of the room, and, and she's ready to go. And I immediately clicked out of the articles that I was reading. I put my phone away, and here's what I put on. I put on a smile. We made our way down to the car. We left the hotel, and we began to, to just run around the area and do some shopping. And the whole time that we were together for the next couple of hours in, in that scenario, here's what I was doing. I was engaged in conversation with her, doing what we were supposed to be doing on vacation, but internally, I was wrestling with everything I had read there in the room. You know what Satan had done? He had troubled, I, I let him trouble my heart over a circumstance that is a real issue, but something I had no control over. So Susie and I, I finally, I talked about it with her for a little bit, and we just made conversation. And then it was like I came to this realization and this understanding once more. I don't have to let this bother me. Again, because there's nothing I can do about it anyways. And once I remembered that I didn't have to let it bother me, you know what happened? I was no longer troubled. And I was able to enjoy the rest of the day and the rest of the time with her on the trip. Now, now what am I saying? I'm just saying this. Anything can come to any of us at any of time. And, and here's what Satan wants to do. He wants us to be troubled. If it's not actual things that have happened, he wants us to be troubled by all the weird possibility what-ifs that we can create in our minds. Or am I the only one who does that? I, I, I think, based on your, just your general countenance, I think some of you have worked yourself into a frenzy sometimes over the what-ifs as much as the things that already are. And I'm just trying to remind us tonight that it doesn't have to be that way. Christ said to the disciples, don't let this happen. 
It doesn't have to be this way. Why? Because you're my child. I don't have to be troubled, and you don't have to be troubled. Unless we choose to let ourselves be troubled. See, that's a wonderful perk, but it's only a perk if we take advantage of it. God will not calm us unless we ask him to calm us. God will not take away the anxiety unless we ask the Lord to take away the anxiety. And so tonight, I'm just going to present this as a simple thought, as a simple question. And then it's all on you as to how you respond. But is there anything in your life right now that's troubling you? Is there anything right now going on in your life where it has caused you to be at a state of unrest? Is there anything right now in your life that's causing you to be anxious? Are you stirred up? Are you agitated? Is that peace not really a part of your life right now? What we have to be reminded of is this. The only reason that we live in a condition like that is if we choose to live in a condition like that. Heaven is our home one day, and that's a wonderful promise to look forward to. But while we are alive and while we are going through our day-to-day lives, our hearts do not have to be troubled. They just don't have to be unless we choose to let them be troubled. And so I don't know if it's necessary. I don't know if this needs to take place or not. But tonight you may just need to say, Lord, you know the situation, whatever it is. And Lord, you know that I can't change it. Lord, you know that I can't fix it. And all the trouble that it has been causing me hasn't helped the matter at all. It may be that tonight you just need to say, Lord, I don't want to let that trouble me like it has in the past. It does not have to happen unless we let it happen. And sometimes it is a moment-by-moment decision to not let it trouble us. I'll just say this, and then we'll close. You don't have that available if you don't have a relationship with God. And you don't have that relationship with God if you don't have a relationship with Christ. If you want the promise of heaven, and if you want to be able to go through life untroubled, you need a relationship with Christ more than anything else in this world. I don't know what we need tonight, but I promise you some need this this evening, and all of us will need it at some point in the days to come. Let's all stand tonight and bow our heads for prayer. Fathers, I come to you this evening. Lord, I am thankful for the promise of heaven. God, I am thankful that you said what you did here in John chapter 14. That for every child of God, there awaits us a mansion, a dwelling place. In a world that our minds cannot begin to comprehend comprehend or to grasp. Lord, it's better than anything that's ever been written or sung or, or said uh, about heaven. Lord, I'm thankful for that. 
But, Lord, I am especially thankful that tonight my heart and my mind and my soul does not have to be troubled unless I let it happen. And, Lord, that's true for every child of God in here tonight. We don't have to be troubled unless we just choose to let it happen. And, Lord, there may be some in here this evening they've never called upon you to save them. For whatever reason, they just haven't. God, I pray that tonight they would realize their greatest need in all of this. I pray that you'd help them to see the need to call upon you to save them. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.